Let's open our Bibles this afternoon to Ezekiel 33. We have seen some of the woes against uh, the surrounding nations, and uh, we looked last time at Tyre, and then there's a section in between there against Egypt, and uh, I've decided to move ahead to chapter 33 so as not to be too repetitive. It's a very similar message that comes against Egypt that we saw against the other nations as well. So I want to move on to Ezekiel 33, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people that whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. And if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O oh, wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. 
Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. When the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. So far, the reading of God's holy word. After pastoring a church in England for a few years, Daniel James Draper became a missionary to South Australia in the early 1800s. When he was in charge of the South Australian district, he witnessed witnessed the building of 30 new churches. He also participated in the building of schools. Church membership increased by 1,300 and Sunday school by 2,000. The number of people who came to worship increased by 7,000. After 29 years of service, he and his wife made their first visit back to England. After a brief visit there, they again boarded ship to return to their work in Australia. They departed on January 5, 1866, with 263 passengers on board. The sky was clear and the sea calm. A day after they set sail, the winds picked up and eventually became so violent that the ship's rigging was blown away and the wreckage from the mast could not be cleared. Mountainous waves engulfed the ship. The winds continued until they became a full-blown hurricane. On January 10, the ship turned back towards Plymouth, hoping to reach calmer waters. But at 10.30 that night, a mountain of water fell on the main deck, filling the engine room and extinguishing the engine fires. The men worked furiously to repair the damage, but finally the captain had to tell them that the ship was doomed. At midnight, Draper began a prayer meeting in the saloon. All the passengers and crew not on duty gathered together. Draper exhorted the people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Together, they read the scriptures with earnestness. At dawn, the captain told the passengers and crew that all hope was lost. Draper broke the silence that followed the announcement by standing up to address the crowd. With tears flowing down his face, he said in a clear, strong voice, the captain tells us there is no hope that we must all perish, but I tell you, there is hope, hope for all. Although we must die and shall never again see land, we may all make the port of heaven. Survivors later reported that from the beginning of the prayer meeting at midnight until the boat sank at 2 o'clock the next afternoon, Draper was ceaseless in his prayers, admonitions, and invitations. Among the last words that were heard coming from his lips were these. In a few moments, we must all appear before our great judge, prepare to meet him. In a few moments, we must all appear before our great judge, prepare to meet him. 
It is said that with his last breath, he spoke of Jesus and pleaded with the passengers and crew to prepare to behold, behold the Lamb of God. His main concern as the ship went down was making sure that everyone knew the way of salvation. He warned, encouraged, pleaded, and admonished people to repent and embrace Jesus Christ. The captain tells us there is no hope, but I tell you there is hope. Hope for all. One of the 17 survivors said that as he left the ship, he heard people singing, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Congregation, although it may have been a unique situation, Daniel Draper understood something about sounding the trumpet. God had appointed him, and to the very end, he served as God's trumpeter, preaching, warning, calling sinners to Christ. He warned of the judgment and spoke of God's message of salvation. We must all appear before our great judge, prepare to meet him. Draper himself could appear before his judge, innocent of the blood of all those on board, for he had given them God's message and warned them of the coming judgment. Brothers and sisters, our scripture reading reminds us that God gets no pleasure from destroying sinners. It is his desire that the wicked turn from their wicked ways and live. That's why he appoints watchmen. They trumpet God's message so that sinners may turn and live. From these 20 verses of Ezekiel 33, I want us to consider the watchman's duty, his faithfulness, his guilt, and his gospel. We begin with his duty. We read in the first verse of Ezekiel 33 that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel again, saying, go to verse 2, verse 2, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, stop there. In our study of Ezekiel 3, some time ago now, I pointed out that cities in the ancient world were usually surrounded by a high wall to provide protection in case of enemy invasion. But there were people who worked not only within the city, but also in the surrounding countryside. To provide protection for the city and its inhabitants, a watchman was appointed who would occupy a high place on the city wall from which he could observe the area and watch for advancing enemies. It was the watchman's duty to faithfully and carefully scan the horizon for approaching enemies. The moment he detected danger, he had to blow the trumpet and warn the people. 
Those who were outside the walls would be alerted to the danger, and they would have time to quickly make their way to within the security of the walls. The task of the watchman was extremely important. His duty was to watch and warn. The safety of the city depended largely upon his diligence. The lives of the people were dependent upon his alertness. Now, in chapter 33, the Lord said to Ezekiel, verse 7, You, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. You'll recall that back in chapter 3, the Lord said, I have made you a watchman. And now in chapter 33, his duty as a watchman is further emphasized. Ezekiel was called by God to stand on the towers of the city walls, as it were, and scan the horizon for any danger and warn the people if there was any threat. The enemy that Ezekiel had to watch for was not flesh and blood, but spiritual enemies, enemies of the soul. If he saw danger, he had to blow the trumpet. He had to warn the people when he saw sin, wickedness, and disobedience to God's will. When the Israelites began to drift away from the Word of God, when spiritual enemies threatened their relationship between them and the Lord, when the covenant relationship between God and His people was threatened, Ezekiel had to blow the trumpet. Brothers and sisters, as we saw back in chapter 3, The task that God gave to Ezekiel is the task that he gives to all office bearers in the church today. They are charged by the Lord to be awake and alert spiritually and to watch for the enemy. They are charged to guard the spiritual well-being of the flock. They stand on the walls and watch carefully for anything that may lead God's people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. When they see members of the church ensnared by materialism, when they see them loving the world and the things of the world, when they see them wandering away from Jesus Christ through worldly entertainment or whatever it may be, they must sound the trumpet. When they see people drawn away by various philosophies and ideologies, unbiblical scholarship, academic arrogance, and false wisdom, they must issue the warning. When they see people worship their work and exalt their business above their commitment to God, when they see God's sheep embracing unbiblical feminism or leaning towards the errors of relativism and pragmatism, they must alert them to the dangers. When members of the church show indifference to the Savior, the gospel, and their fellow Christians by neglecting worship. Elders have a duty to lift up the trumpet. You see, God's people are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, and anything, anything that threatens that precious relationship, anything that drives a wedge in it should be challenged as soon as possible. Christ is the one who loved us. 
Christ is the one who gave himself for us, who suffered God's curse to redeem a people for the Lord. Therefore, anything that threatens that relationship must be exposed. The office bearers of the church, especially the elders and pastors, must be aware of the dangers of our culture and must do all that they can to protect God's people. Office bearers must communicate God's word to God's people to protect them from God's enemies, enemies of the soul, enemies of the church, enemies of the gospel. We all understand that parents are also watchmen for their children, especially fathers. Parents are called to teach their children the way of Christ, life, and salvation. Parents must remind their children about the dangers of unbelief and ungodliness. And they have a duty to lovingly discipline disobedient sons and daughters so as to deliver them from the ways of evil. As watchmen, parents sound the alarm with a view to rescuing their children from the judgment of God. As parents sound the alarm for the spiritual well-being of their children, so office bearers sound the alarm for the well-being of the church. That's the watchman's duty, point number one. Point number two, his faithfulness. His faithfulness. Look with me, please, to verse four. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet... It does not take warning. If the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. We said that the task of a watchman is to watch and warn. If he is faithful, if he sees the enemy coming and blows the trumpet, then he will not be blamed for those who are lost. The watchman is not held accountable for those who choose to ignore his warning. Those who ignore it must bear the consequences of their own irresponsible behavior. God told Ezekiel, if you are faithful to your calling and say what I tell you to say, if you preach what I tell you to preach, if you confront God's people according to my instructions, then you will not be blamed if they perish. Verse 9 says, if you go down there, verse 9 says, If you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. To be a watchman is a great responsibility. But the Lord told Ezekiel, be faithful. Do your task. Fulfill your calling. Take hold of the trumpet and you will not be blamed for those who perish. Now, brothers and sisters, if he knows that the enemy is near, if he sees a cloud of dust from the enemy's chariots, why would a watchman not sound the trumpet? In the spiritual realm, what would hinder Ezekiel and what would hinder office bearers today from sounding the alarm? Isn't it sometimes the fear of man? Those who receive the trumpet warning are not always grateful. Instead of saying thank you to the watchman, they sometimes rebuke him for the annoying sound of the trumpet. 
Would you put that noisy thing down? We don't need it. We don't want it. It only gives us a headache. We like peace and quiet. When office bearers approach their church members with a warning, they run the risk of receiving an angry response. Sometimes it's much easier for office bearers to be quiet and say nothing at all. Don't speak of God's Word, His righteousness, His righteous judgments, His wrath against sin, and don't confront sinful attitudes and actions. It's much easier for office bearers to just be Mr. Pleasant, Mr. Polite, Mr. Everyone Likes Me, Mr. Agreeable, Mr. Warm and Friendly, Mr. Amiable. It's far easier to simply ignore sinful attitudes and conduct and just be accepted by everyone. Why rock the boat and ruffle feathers? Why make people upset and unhappy? Let's just keep the peace. The fear of man, the fear of rejection, the fear of controversy, the fear of unfavorable responses, all of these things can hinder the watchman from sounding the trumpet. But the Lord says, just be faithful and say what I tell you to say. Speak my word. If the people do not heed your warning, their blood shall be upon their own head. They have only themselves to blame if they fall under my wrath. Congregation, why is it? Why is it that some people do not listen to the sound of the trumpet and do not appreciate the warning? Perhaps there's someone here in this assembly who will not listen. You've heard the trumpet a thousand times. You've heard that without Christ there is no life. Unless you repent, you must perish. Unless you put your trust in Jesus, there's no hope for you whatsoever. Perhaps there's someone right here who has listened to sermon after sermon after sermon a hundred times a year. A hundred times a year you've heard the trumpet blast, yet you depart from here with no repentance. Could that be? Do you leave these doors as though you heard nothing at all? You've received the law and the gospel again and again and again and again. Why do you not listen? Sometimes people refuse to listen because they love their sin. They know that if they heed the warning, they'll have to leave it, and they love their sin too much to turn from it. Many rejected Jesus' preaching for that very reason. They love their sin. Others may refuse to listen because of intellectual pride. The message of the Bible is too simplistic. It may be fine for the weak and ignorant, but it certainly has little to offer those who are bright and well-educated. Again, others may refuse to listen to the trumpet because they don't believe that God will really punish anyone. They don't believe the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment, what the Bible says about the everlasting torment of those who reject Christ. They don't want to believe in a God who punishes sinners for their rebellion against Him. And then sometimes there are those who refuse to listen because they don't like the watchman. 
They don't like his character. They don't like the sound of his voice. They don't like his mannerisms. They don't like his style of preaching. It's too light or too heavy, too long or too dull, too doctrinal or too simple, too negative or too harsh. Furthermore, there are some who refuse to listen because they're simply preoccupied with other things. They're far too busy to spend time on spiritual matters. And then there are yet others who think that they have plenty of time to respond to the sound of the trumpet. What's the hurry? Why rush? Why respond now? Maybe later. Maybe later. Brothers and sisters, there are all kinds of foolish excuses that people use for not heeding the warning of God. But the Lord says, if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have heard the message of the cross and the way of salvation and resist it, then your blood shall be upon yourself. The watchman is innocent, for he has faithfully proclaimed to you the whole counsel of God, that all who plug their ears to the trumpet blast are guilty before the Lord. Dear friends, are any of you here this afternoon, are any of you here making excuses, even at this very moment? Is there anyone in this assembly who is foolishly and dangerously resisting God's warning? It's my calling to say to you that if you do not turn from your way, you will die in your iniquity and your blood shall be upon your own head. But then thirdly, our text also speaks of the watchman's guilt. The watchman's guilt. Look with me to verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, it does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. You see that last line of verse 6? His blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Keep reading at verse 8. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. What do these verses say about Pastor Pleasant, Pastor Polite, Elder Positive, Elder Amiable, Elder Everyone Likes Me? What do these verses say about watchmen who do not proclaim God's message in fullness? God says they are guilty, guilty. His blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Of course, elders and deacons and pastors should try to be pleasant, polite, positive, and amiable, but not at the expense of biblical truth. Just like Ezekiel 3, there's a very strong warning in this passage to all office bearers. We will be held accountable for those who perish on account of our negligence if we fail to bring them God's message. I shudder to think of those church leaders who preach nothing more than a gospel of self-esteem. 
What will become of those who neglect to preach the gospel of repentance, who bring, you, bring only happy messages of love and acceptance? Come as you are and leave as you came. What will become of those who do not warn sinners to flee from the wrath to come and to find their joy in the Savior, Jesus Christ? What will become of those who suggested that salvation can be attained apart from faith in Jesus Christ alone? When God appoints watchmen, He expects them to proclaim the whole counsel of God. You'll recall that it is a final address to the Ephesian elders. What did Paul say? Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Why? For I have not shunned to declare, or I have not avoided declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul could say to the Ephesian elders that he was innocent. He had preached both grace and judgment, love and wrath forgiveness and holiness, justification and condemnation, mercy and justice, the kindness of God and the punishment of God, I am innocent of the blood of all men. May it be, congregation, that the whole counsel of God be proclaimed through the leadership at Bethel Church. And may it be that you, God's people, receive the word and reap the great blessings of fellowship with the Lord. Pray that God will give to the leadership of this church wisdom, courage, boldness, love, and insight to guide God's people according to God's truth. May God give courage to say what needs to be said, even if it's not popular even if it's not appreciated or gratefully received. So we have seen the watchman's duty, his faithfulness, and his guilt. We come then finally to his gospel, his gospel. Please follow along at verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Can't you just feel in this verse the longing of God for the salvation of sinners, can't you? God does not want them to destroy themselves. He doesn't want them to continue in their sin and bring ruin upon themselves. He doesn't want them to die in their sin. Therefore, he appoints watchmen to proclaim the gospel, the good news that if sinners turn from their sin, they will not die. If the wicked turns from his wicked way, he shall live. What does it mean to turn? Turn, turn from your evil ways. What does it mean to turn? To turn is to repent. True repentance includes a change in direction. It is to forsake your old patterns of life, to leave the sinful habits and desires of the flesh, and to live for Jesus Christ. The good news that Ezekiel can bring to the house of Israel is that evildoers are not without hope. 
If you turn from your sin, you will not be condemned, but you will have life. Isn't that an amazing message? Isn't that an amazing message? You don't have to die eternally. You don't have to perish in sin. You don't have to face the anger of God. You don't have to be cast into hell for eternity. Turn and live. Turn and live. In verses 12 through 20, the Lord goes on to explain to Ezekiel that a person is not saved by his own righteousness, neither is a wicked man beyond the hope of salvation. The man who appears to be upright but then turns away will be lost. And the man who has lived his entire life in sin and then repents, that man is forgiven and acquitted. Now, According to verses 17 and 20, the Israelites said, but that's not fair. We've heard that already before in this book, haven't we? But that's not fair. The way of the Lord is not fair. How can someone who has sinned all his life repent, turn, and be forgiven? And how can someone who has been good all his life lapse into sin and be lost? How can a perpetual evildoer turn and be saved well, a person who leads a decent life and then falls into sin is eternally lost. Lord, that's not fair. God says, yes, my ways are fair and just. The person who lives a decent life, his righteousness cannot save him. The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. There were some in Israel who looked at it this way. Suppose you're a successful businessman, and over the years you make a lot of money. You make $10 million. But then one day you make a bad business decision and you lose $400,000. The poor business deal doesn't cancel out everything you've done in the previous years. You still have a sizable bank account. And then suppose you're a man who has made irresponsible business decisions all your life so that over the years you've accumulated an enormous debt. You're a few million dollars in the hole. And then one day you reform your business practices. Are all your debts completely canceled? Are all your irresponsible decisions negated and your slate completely wiped clean? Of course not. Well then, why would God condemn a man who has lapsed into sin after living a decent life and forgive a man who has turned from his sin after living a wicked life? That's not fair. Where is the justice in it all? Congregation, the problem with this analysis is that the premise is incorrect. The premise is incorrect. There is no one who is righteous, no one who is truly good, no one who can accumulate merit before the Lord. A person who lives a decent life but does not trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his decent life will not save him. And a man who lives a wicked life but repents and trusts in Christ for salvation, his wicked life will not condemn him. Is that fair? Absolutely. Man's righteousness is worthless before God. 
but Christ's righteousness wonderfully covers all sin. God does not judge us based on past accumulation of good or past accumulation of evil. He judges us based on whether we do or do not possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All who turn from their evil ways and trust in God's way of salvation shall live. All who fail to trust God's salvation shall die eternally. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Ezekiel not only brought a message of judgment, but also an encouraging gospel of hope, life, and deliverance. When sinners repent, turn to the Lord, and commit their lives to Him, God says, you shall surely live. Verse 19, when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what it is lawful and right, he shall live. To the Israelites in captivity, this was a great message of grace. Yes, you have sinned, and yes, your life is a mess because of sin, but if you turn and repent, you shall live. Brothers and sisters, that is God's promise to each and every one of you. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? You don't have to die. There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You don't have to perish. There is life in the Savior. When you, when you depart from this life and stand before God, there is not a person in this building who can say, Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know your way of salvation. I didn't know you were gracious, kind, and merciful. I didn't know that you desired the salvation of sinners. I didn't know that my own righteousness was inadequate. I didn't know, Lord, I didn't know that I could be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. I didn't know that you called out with a compassionate heart for the wicked to turn and live. There's not a person in this assembly who can plead ignorance on the day of reckoning. If you've not trusted the righteousness of Jesus, the Lord will say to you, why did you not listen? I called to you. I said, turn from your evil ways. I told you I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I gave you the opportunity to be saved. I revealed my grace, my love, my beloved Son to you. I sent watchmen to sound the trumpet. I gave you my word. I gave you every opportunity. Why, oh, why did you not turn and live? Congregation, there will be eternal regrets for those who ignore the watchman's gospel eternal sorrow, but for those who hear, there will be eternal gratitude to God, thanksgiving, and celebration. Is there anyone here today who will not confess faith in Jesus Christ and devote your life to Him? I say to you, why will you die? Why will you die? 
turn, repent, and live. We must all appear before our great judge. Prepare to meet him. Let us pray. Lord, we are so blessed to be able to hear the watchman's gospel and to know that there is full pardon forgiveness, and life in Jesus Christ. On our own, we make a mess of everything. So we praise you that there is grace for those who turn, that those who turn and repent will live. We do pray once again, Lord, for your blessing upon the leadership here that we would be true and faithful to you, true to your word, proclaiming both the warning but also the comfort for those who turn. We pray that the whole counsel of God would be taught from this church, not only from the pulpit but also in homes and in Bible studies, that, Lord, your truth may be both taught and heard and believed, acted upon, and that we may, as a congregation here, reap the blessings, that fullness of joy that comes from knowing that we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus, that perfect, spotless robe of righteousness. So, Lord, our God, if there's anyone here who has heard the trumpet blast a thousand times it is not rightly responding we pray that your spirit would convict the heart bring them to faith bring them to their knees humble them under your mighty hand and then fill them with your joy sins forgiven life everlasting hear us Lord receive our praises as we conclude. Amen.